welcome to the Gregory Diggout Podcast. The best thing you can do in this world, if you're a parent or if you have the if you have the opportunity to become a parent, the best thing you can do in this world is to give this world better people than yourself. It's the best thing you can do. Give this world better people than yourself. It doesn't mean that we don't become better as individuals, but I'm never going to be able to give myself to this world in a better way than I can give my kids to this world. And that the years that we spent for those of you that are parents, don't ever give up on your kids. Don't ever stop talking to your kids. Don't ever stop um, interacting with your kids. Don't ever stop listening to them. Don't don't ever shut them down or silence them, but get them to talk more and more and open up more and more and create a safe environment that they feel safe, that they can be honest. If you say, you know what, tell me anything. And then they tell you something. You're like, I can't believe you did that. If you ever do that again, I'm going to kill you like you can't. You can't offer a safe space where they can be honest and transparent and then not respect that space and not respect that honesty and respect that transparency. And I'm telling you, if you would just really in all of our relationships, that's how we should function. We should give people safe space to share their own mind, their own heart, their own thoughts. We should stop cutting people off and thinking that we know better. Everybody has a different story. And until you have walked the road they've walked, you don't have the right to say what you think they should do about their walk. It's really it's really something that we can all learn from and we can all learn to listen better and we can all learn to have empathy. I I'm so so glad that Joseph brought up that September is suicide prevention, awareness month and we're around the world. It is that. And sometimes I think we we take for granted that we have a God who's present with us and in his presence is fullness of joy. And we get to experience his presence every time we get to we get together, we come together. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I'm not feeling all that great on Sunday morning, but I walk into church and I start worshiping and praising God and my whole outlook on life changes because there is there is power in God's presence. And when we gather together in his name, he is in our midst. You know, when you're by yourself, he's inside of you and he'll always be inside of you. But when we come together, he's in our midst. He's in the middle of us. He's he's among us. He's not just in us, but he's among us. You know how many miracles happen because God was among them in the Bible. Only after Jesus rose from the dead could could God actually live inside of people. But his great power was always manifested when God was among them, when he was among the children of Israel. Miracles happen when he's among the house of David. Miracles happen when he was among the disciples. Miracles happen. God is among us. He is with us. He is in our midst. Wow. I don't think we are that aware 
of God's presence in our lives, because if we were, we would really we would feel different. We would really be there would be greater joy. I want to encourage you that if when you feel depression is something I want to talk about a little today with along with a few other emotions. But I I think that if we if you would realize that negative emotions or power emotions, depression is a power emotion. Anger is a power emotion. It has a lot of power, Um, fear, anxiety. These are power emotions and they create motion in us. They create motion in a certain direction. Emotions are internal motions. So it's internal motion moving you to an external action or an external feeling or an external behavior that is a response to the internal motion that is happening inside of you, whether that's fear, anger, anxiety, depression, worry, all of these emotions, stress, which is a little different than emotion. But I'll talk a little bit about that as well. But I I really want to encourage us today. I'm going to start um, with you in a scripture that uh, we're very familiar with in Mark, Chapter 14. But I want to put it to you this way, because I want to talk to you about emotional signals and how to use emotional signals to your advantage and how to use your emotions to your advantage. Can anybody say amen? Amen. In other words, instead of trying to get rid of depression, instead of trying to get rid of of fear, instead of trying to get rid of anxiety, instead of trying to get rid of these things, we should we should master them. We should harness them because they're signals to some. They're pointing us to something. They're pointing something out in our life and they're pointing something out that if we give attention to, we can reverse it, we can change it, we can transform it. If we don't give attention to it, suicide and and harming oneself is simply the final act of failing to respond to the signals that your body and your brain kept giving to you. When your body and your brain gives you a signal, it's meant for you to respond to that signal. It's meant to take the signal as a as a signal to do something about the situation that that you're in at that moment, rather than looking at depression as, gosh, why does that why does that come upon me and why am I always depressed and why and what's the matter with me and what's wrong with me? Why do I get angry so easily? Why do I come on? Am I in the right place here today? Anybody? Why do I get angry so easily? Can anybody say amen? Why? Why? Why do I? Why do I feel anxious? Why is my heart beating faster now because of this situation, because this person entered the room or this situation's happening? What's rather than evaluating yourself as a bad person because you had these feelings, instead treat the feelings as a signal to do something that you have the power to do. That's why the emotion is happening inside of you, because it is a signal that you have in your capacity the power to do something about the thing that it's signaling. Oh, man, if you could get a hold of this, it'll really change your life. We we have to come face to face, coming face to face with our own humanity creates an invitation to experience God's divinity. Coming face to face with my own humanity, coming face to face with my with my flaws, coming face to face with the things that make me 
worry, the things that make me depressed, the things that make me angry, coming face to face with my humanity rather than trying to suffocate those feelings and try to try to prove I don't really have them or try to prove that I'm better than them or try to prove that I'm smarter than them. I rather let them bring me face to face with my own humanity. So it is an invitation for me to experience God's divinity, God's power. Those moments of powerlessness. So I talk about depression a lot and guilt and fear. So so guilt is a sense of powerlessness over your regrets and over your mistakes and over the things you've done wrong. Guilt is a is it's feeling powerless over your past. Depression is feeling powerless over your present condition and fear is feeling powerless over your future. If you could realize that's how these emotions work, that guilt is that feeling of powerlessness. I can't do anything about my past, but Jesus did something about your past. He washed it away. He delivers you from guilt when you realize he has power over your past and he has already been there and to your future. And he's in your present and he's already done something about the past. He's done something about the present and he's working on something in the future. He actually has already worked on it. But for for communication's sake, for helping us have some clarity, let's assume he's still working on it, even though he's already he's already passed your future. He's already beyond your future and he's dealt with your future. Your future is past to God. Your future is in God's past. He's already been there and he's already provided for you everything you need for whatever you're going to face in your future. Listen, the epidemic, the emotional epidemic that we're living in, the emotion, the crisis of emotions, the crisis of anxiety, anxiety and, and depression and suicidal thoughts have never been at a higher level than they are in our world today. But what they are is they are simply a reflection. They're the they're simply a result of living life without God. And don't don't take this the wrong way. And I'm not saying if you're depressed, you must be without God. It's living life without activating your relationship with God in those moments. Everybody here will probably say, yes, I'm a born again Christian. I'm a child of God. I I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I have a relationship with God. Everybody here. Most everybody here would say that most everybody watching might say that. But the but it's not about being a Christian that that determines whether you're going to be able to manage and master your emotions. It's about whether you are involving God in your everyday life. And, and involving him with your with your communication, with the feelings that you're feeling and going to him with these things. The, the condition that we're in of major depression, anxiety, fear, all time highs is because we have tried to live in a system 
of dependency upon others. And though we are better together, we cannot rest our trust on how people treat us. We cannot base our happiness on how people treat us. We cannot base our our peace upon how people treat us. But rather, we have to base our trust and our peace on what the Lord has done for us and what he's actively involved in in our lives. And we should be inviting him into our everyday life. I mean, when you woke up today, did you say, Heavenly Father, I invite you to have your way. I invite you to love on me like I like I never deserved before to 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 minister to me, to encourage me, to inspire me, to use me. I want you in every moment of my life. I know you're in every moment, but I want to express I need you in every moment in my life. Like I'm not saying you should feel bad if you didn't pray that, but I'm saying a society that doesn't do that as a regular way of living is going to be a broken society, a culture that lives its day to day life without God is going to be a culture ripe with with depression, anxiety, worry, fear all the time. We, we, we should not be asking, how could we have so many people depressed? We should not be asking, how could we have so many lone wolf killers? We should not be asking, how could we have so many people anxious and cutting themselves and hurting themselves? We should be asking, why aren't more people doing that? Because so many people in our culture are living life without God. And we're raising. We we're, we've created a society of lone wolves. We've created a society of of massively dependent people or massively independent and have no balance in those. So we've made people dependent on one another where we need you to feel good about ourselves. We need somebody to give us affirmation, approval, acceptance, or we don't need anybody. And we're just our our own to ourselves and on our own. And both of those are extremely dangerous positions to live your life from. Let me t- let me give you some emotions. I'll, I'll take you to Mark 14, 32. They came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be amazed, sorely amazed, afraid and became very heavy and said, my soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Wait here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And we'll get into what he prayed and why he prayed. But we can see that Jesus is giving us a pattern, is showing us a pattern of how he handled his emotions. And in the Amplified Bible, it really it really explains his emotions in such detail that it's hard to believe. But it is true. Jesus felt everything we've ever felt. And you finding peace and using your emotions as proper signals, it begins by realizing that Jesus has felt everything you've ever felt and he's not mad about it and he's not mad that you feel these things. He's not angry with you. He's not shocked at you. He's not surprised at you. He's not saying how be stronger. How come you're not stronger? Why are you depressed? Why are you sad? He felt all of these things. So he doesn't he doesn't look down upon us. 
He looks upon us with empathy, with sympathy, with love and understanding and tenderness and a bruised reed he will not break and a dimly a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. Why have we why has preachers painted a picture of a God who's going to come where you have barely done much, you're barely surviving, you're barely making it, your wick is barely burning and he's going to come and 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 spit on it or quench it or 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 stuff it out or 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 extinguish this this little flicker of hope that you have. No, he's going to he's going to fan the flame. He's so understanding of us because he understands us because he is us. He was us. And he always will be us. He was and is the best of us. But he has experienced everything we've experienced so that he can not only relate to us, but so that he could truly know what it is to go through whatever you're going through. And if he could make it through, he's the one who's going to get you through it because he's our high priest. He goes on our behalf to obtain the help that we need. So I want you to see. Stop being mad at yourself for getting angry, anxious, depressed, worried and start treating these emotions as signals. What, what kind of signals are they? Anxiety is a signal to pray. I've said that for years, but I want to say it again. Anxiety is a signal to pray. If anxiety is left unprayed about, it will left it will be left uncured. It will just grow and get a deeper, deeper root in your life if you don't use the remedy for anxiety that God laid out for us so perfectly in Philippians chapter four, verse six and seven and eight. He says, be anxious for nothing. How? He's not saying be anxious for nothing, you bad, anxious person. You he said he's not saying, hey, don't be anxious. He's saying here is the recipe for not being anxious or here's the recipe for being anxious for nothing. He's not commanding you to be anxious for nothing. He's giving you the recipe of how to be anxious for nothing. Boy, if we really understood the writer of the Bible, we would understand more of the Bible, because most Christians read this as be anxious for nothing, as if God is pointing his finger at you and saying you're bad for being anxious. No, he's showing us the way out of anxiety. He's showing us the cure for it. How am I supposed to be anxious for nothing, Lord? in everything by prayer. Now, until you have faced everything by prayer, do not argue with what I'm saying. You understand me? You hear this like stop arguing in your head until you have dealt with everything in your life by prayer. It may not even be very good prayer. In fact, it may be the worst prayers anybody could ever pray. But what's worse than praying the worst prayer is praying no prayer. 
be anxious for nothing. He's saying here, here, like, let me humanize this because we don't usually humanize what the Bible actually is saying. And we have to read it as humans. And we have to know that God gives it to us as a human. Jesus is a human being. God is a being. I don't know if we call we call him human. He's just the creator of all humanity, right? He's the creator of all life, but he is spirit. But Jesus was spirit and flesh. And had a body and had a soul and was tempted in all things as we are. Be anxious for nothing, he's saying the the remedy for anxiety is communication. Say something to God. This sucks. Just add his name to it. God, this sucks. I know that some of you would be like, I can't believe he would say that in church. But you say it all the time outside of church. And you say way worse than that. Right. I'm not telling you that's what you should say. I'm just saying it's better to say that because that's what you feel than to act and try to pretend like you're going to get all the right words together here so that when you go to God, you go to him with this like perfect sentence. It's like the prodigal son. He wrote it. He wrote out his speech when he decided he's going to go back home. And and he said, here's what I'm going to say. He literally tells us his speech. Here's what I'm going to say to the father when I get back. I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven in your sight. Make me as one of your servants and da 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 da. And as soon as he, he gives us the whole speech before he actually does it, he tells us exactly everything he's going to say. He wrote he wrote his speech out. So and then on his way to the father, he's got his speech in his hand. He's got it memorized a little because he's hungry. He doesn't want to screw this up. And and he's got it memorized. And and as the father, when the father sees him from far way off, the father goes running to the son and begins to hug the son and kiss his son and falls upon his son's neck, the Bible says, which is the same word that is used when the Holy Spirit fell upon the disciples in the book of Acts. It was a love act. It was an act of fatherly love, hugging and embracing fully this physical boy in this mess and dirt and filth and pig's trough that he had just come out of. And and, and, and as his father just hugging him and kissing him in between kisses, the kid is trying to give a speech. <laughs> father kisses him. He's a father. I've seen I've seen father kiss him again. Father, I've sinned against heaven. And then he stops the son one, points to the servant and says, go get a robe for my go get the royal robe for my son. Go get sandals for his feet. Go get the ring for his finger. Go kill the fatted calf for this son of mine was dead. He's like he refused to let the son finish the speech. But just the fact that the son made one effort towards the father was enough for the father to come running. If we would just in back in Philippians four, six, if we would just make a simple move, he's already made all these moves, but he's saying, here's how you get out of this anxiety. Go to God by prayer, 
supplication with thanksgiving. Make your request. No, let your request be known to God. God already knows it. He's not saying make sure God knows your request. He's saying let your request be made known to him. In other words, don't just keep it silent in your heart. Make it known. Make it known. To make it known, you got to say it. To make it known, you got to express it. To make it known, you have to think it, feel it, then say it. This is the cure. This is the path out. And then the remedy after you've done that is in verse eight when he says, or verse seven, he says, and the peace of God. Like he, this is what's going to happen. Every time you deal with anxiety with some other method than this method, you are not going to have the peace of God. The peace of God is attached to God's way of responding to this. It surpasses all comprehension. It guards your heart and your minds. So it doesn't just deal with the immediate in the moment anxiety. It also deals with guarding and protecting your heart and your mind going forward. For finally, brethren, he says, whatever is honorable, whatever is good, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, whatever is lovely, whatever is lovely, whatever is beautiful, that word lovely, whatever is beautiful, whatever is good of good report, if there be an excellence, anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Anxiety will rule if you dwell on what is not good. Anxiety will rule if you don't attach prayer to it and express it to God. It's a signal, people like I believe the reason you feel that anxiety in that very moment is because you you are anointed. God has anointed you in that moment to do something about that situation in prayer. He's anointed you in that moment for that moment. The anxiety I've actually begun to treat it as energy. And I use it as the energy to pray and bring it up to God. I'm glad I'm anxious about this, God, because clearly there's something there's an anointing that you've given me to do something about the situation in prayer. So I'm just coming to you with this anxiety and I'm just going to use this right now to say, Father, I'm asking you for this thing that's on my mind and on my heart and weighing on me. I'm handing it over to you. I'm I'm asking you to, to, to deliver me from it. I'm asking for your wisdom about it. And and I want to thank you right now, Father, that, that man, just thank you that you let you let me be honest with you in that way. And then from that point, you begin to dwell on these things in verse eight. Now, you can close the Bible and say, well, that's I mean, come on, we're not we, we, we have to we have to face these emotions with uh, with more honesty than that, that there is no more honesty than that. Everything less than that that you do is a band aid to a bullet hole in your soul. I treat and encourage you to treat anxiety as a signal to pray, to treat depression 
as a signal to believe that God is with you most when you feel him least. Depression is now become. A tool for me because I feel it, I've felt it for years in my life, depressed at times, a lot of times. But I've begun to use it as a tool. I begin to use it as a weapon for me rather than against me. I begin to treat depression as a signal that when I feel God the least, he is with me the most. Now, I know he's with me the same all the time, but I am I am most aware that he is with me when I am depressed because it is at that moment I'm I refuse to let the feelings dictate to me where God is. I've I've made up my mind. Depression is not going to trick me into thinking that God isn't here in this moment. The depression is actually helping me to put my faith in something greater than a feeling. I'm putting my faith in the fact that God promised he would never leave me or forsake me. So the fact that I'm depressed is simply an opportunity to believe something that I don't see and I don't feel, which is very much honoring to God that you would believe him in times when you feel him the least. And you would praise him in times where you feel like praising him the least is this is the remedy. This is the cure. This is how depression is a signal. Now, I get it that there are things broken in our chemical makeup in our brain, and there are sometimes much more extreme measures must be used and clinical things and medical treatment. Absolutely. I welcome all of those things. I'd rather I'd rather a pill be able to make it disappear than for it to never be able to disappear. But you can't become dependent on something for the rest of your life when you have not accessed the power that God has made available to you to treat depression as a signal. If you cover it up all the time, then you are you are not giving yourself an opportunity to walk by faith, not by sight. Depression is reminding me that I'm walking by faith. Hey, God is with me. I don't feel him. I feel depressed. I feel like hurting myself or somebody else. But I am going to let this serve as a reminder that no matter how I feel right now, no matter how low I feel, I'm still seated with him in heavenly places. I'm still the head and not the tail. I'm still above only and not beneath. You see, you have to humanize these feelings and use them to your advantage rather than defining yourself as some basket case of broken emotions and broken, a broken soul. This these are signals. Loneliness. It's not a terrible feeling. Loneliness is a signal that God has made the secret place of intimacy with him a priority in your life. Loneliness is a signal that God has made intimacy with him. The focus of your life, God has made intimacy with him. I'm not saying he created the loneliness, but loneliness awakens you to 
an intimate relationship with God that is available to you if you treat loneliness as a signal to be intimate with God. Marriage is not the cure to loneliness. Marriage actually can create loneliness because you're needing that person to fill a need that only God can fill. No wonder we have so many broken relationships and broken homes and broken marriages where we saw where our brokenness was, was when we realized when we realized, wait, we're 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 needing each other to make each other happy. I need you to make me happy. You need me to make you happy. That's that's screwed up. That's messed up, gang. And coming to the coming face to face with the humanity of that is what opened us up to God's ability to use that for us rather than against us. You mean grace isn't supposed to meet all my needs? You mean Greg isn't supposed to meet all of her needs? Yeah, that's exactly. No. She's not and I'm not. God is. My God. He doesn't say my spouse (laughs) shall supply all my need. No, my God, my God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory. We were walking around so depleted for years because we kept drawing on each other's riches and we were broke. My God, my God shall supply. Somebody needs to have a my God moment right now. My God. Anger. Woo. That's a good one. Anger. Anger is a signal. But back to loneliness for just one moment. Loneliness also tells me you can use this for you if it works for you. But loneliness tells me I'm I'm not asking the father for the things that concern me. I'm not going to the father about the things that concern me. I'm lonely because there's a there's a cavity in some area of my life and I'm not going to the father about it. Like it's not just spending time with him, but it's also going to him about that need in my life that's created the this cavity, this emptiness, this hole. Anger is a signal that there are chemicals formulating in your body to give you the strength and the passion to take some action in the right direction. Now, please don't ask me to repeat myself because I didn't write that down. I just said it. (laughs) I might never be able to say it like that again. But anger is a signal that you're or excuse. Yes, anger is a signal that there's chemicals formulating in your body to give you the power and the passion to act in a manner or take a step with passion and violence towards progress in your life, not towards people in your life. Anger is passion. It's 
negative passion that can be turned into positive passion. Anger is a a release of chemical strength that empowers you to dominate a situation through some movement in the right direction. Because the other use of anger, if it's not used in the way that I just said, you will use it to dominate another human being and think that and it gives you some sense of relief for a moment, but it makes it actually takes you backwards rather than forward. You use that energy. You can use that energy to take you forward. Or you can use that energy to take you backward. Woo. So we covered anxiety today, depression today. I'm not saying this is the final word on this subject, but this is this is opens you up to think about these things in a different way from God's point of view, rather than beating yourself up about it or letting these emotions define you, let them inspire you, let them empower you to do what God created you to do when you have these moments of certain emotions that are trying to move you in the wrong direction, you can harness them to move you in the right direction. That's I mean, I think that's enough for today. Let's stand together. I mean, it's never it's never all the way enough. You know, we'd love to stay all day, but I'm going to watch the Bears. You are, too. Actually, there's some other games I'd rather see now that I mentioned. (laughs) If you've never received Jesus as your savior and Lord, Come on, let's pray together. If you've never received him as your savior and Lord, or if you've just never been sure you're going to heaven when you die, but you want to be sure today, would you just raise your hand right where you are? You want to be sure you're going to heaven when you die. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Who else wants to be sure? God bless you. God bless you. God God bless you. Wow. All these hands. God bless you here and here and here and here. Hey, listen now. Don't leave. Everybody pray this together. Everybody pray this together, including those that lifted their hand. But let's let's all pray with them too. say this out loud. Heavenly Father, I invite Jesus into my life as my savior. You were a savior then and you're a savior now. I receive the gift of salvation by your grace through faith. I am saved because Jesus rose from the dead. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are now a child of God. Congratulations. Congratulations. And would you make sure on your way out to get one of these books from one of our team members? I know I saw a lot of hands raised today, more than usual. And I want to make sure each of you get a copy of this book, The Power of a New Life. This is the next steps in this Christian journey with God. And if you're watching anywhere in the world, you can download this absolutely free. Go to lifechangeschurch.com slash salvation and you'll be able to find this book that you can download it free anywhere in the world. And it's free here for those of you that prayed as well today. And can I just say thank you for letting me share a little bit about emotional signals today? I hope this helped you and inspires you. And if you need prayer for anything else, come on up to the altar and one of our prayer team members will pray for you. We love you guys. See on Think Like a Champion on our podcast Wednesday. God bless.